Well, good morning. And uh, good morning to you who are at home, who've opted to stay dry, uh, or perhaps to keep your homes dry if that was required. Let's, uh, let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter very early on in the history of your church, written to a group of people who knew what it was to do it tough for Jesus. We ask as we study it today and over the next three weeks, that you'll challenge us, shake us out of our apathy and our comfort, teach us who face different kinds of persecution to have faith and love and perseverance. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Bible teaches that Christians will face persecution. It's one of those teachings that's always surprised me. I don't know if you think, oh, well, that's, that's of course, right? But just stop and think for a moment about who Christians are. What, what's supposed to characterise us? What's supposed to mark us out? What are Christians supposed to be like? Well, Jesus said to his disciples, by this will the world know you are my disciples, if you love one another, right? Christians are supposed to be people who love. Christians are supposed to be people who follow a master who sacrificed himself for the sake of others. That's, that's what we are meant to be. People who give up all that we have and all that we are and all that we do for the good of other people. And the world will hate you because of it. it it's a strange... I, I, I always... And yet it's also not strange at all, is it? It's not surprising at all, because the one who loved like no one else did, the one who perfectly sacrificed for the good of others, what did they do to him? They killed him. You remember him? His name is Jesus. And so it's surprising that the world would persecute Christians, but it's not surprising. In fact, in the end, for Christians, it's expected that we will face persecution. One, uh, Peter, in the, in the letter of 1 Peter, in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, they are surprised when you do not join them in the flood of debauchery. And so they speak ill of you. In the end, our world is a world that is still in sin. And so when we come and display Jesus to the world, they hate us because they hated Jesus. They hate us because they are in sin. And the Christian's love just shows them up. Now here's a challenge though for us. The Bible teaches that Christians will be persecuted. Are you persecuted? Do people hate you because you follow Jesus? Well, I mean, look, I'm speaking in generalisations, okay? I'm conscious that even in our church there are specific individuals who are persecuted for it whose family has cut them off, whose friends have turned their backs on. I'm, I'm conscious that that is true for some. But I think for many of us, it's kind of hard, isn't it, to say, yes, I am persecuted for Jesus' sake. Maybe we might face some sort of minor ostracising, the people at work don't invite us to the parties or whatever it might be. So here's what I want to do today and over the next three weeks as we consider this letter. I want us to learn from a church that was deeply, truly, dangerously persecuted. And I want us to learn for three reasons. The first is that we can be prepared. I think persecution may well come. We'll speak about that soon. 
I want us to learn, secondly, so that we can care for the persecuted. Today, in the world, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of Christians being killed for the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to love them and care for them. And thirdly, I want us to be challenged. I think these chapters uh, are hard, really, for us. So we need to listen, we need to learn. Now, a little bit of quick background. Uh, look, verse 1 in, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul, Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, hello, he's saying to the church. Here's the quick history. You can read it in Acts chapter 17 if you want to go and follow that up later on. Paul and Silas, so Silvanus, a.k.a. Silas, right? Think David, Dave, Silvanus, Silas. Um, if any of you are going to have kids or perhaps grandkids, there's some names for you. Uh, they had arrived at Thessalonica, they'd preached the gospel over three weeks, they were only there for three weeks and in that time the crowd started to persecute the church. The mob hated what was happening in the name of Jesus and started locking Christians up, bringing them before the magistrate and saying, we've got we to deal with this Paul and these Silas guys because they've been up to, upending the entire world and they're here now, we've got to deal with them. So the church basically had to send Paul and Silas away. You, you guys just got to go because it's going to turn ugly. So for three weeks they were there. They only had three weeks, preached the gospel, saw people converted, started the church, left. And Paul, as he leaves, wonders what on earth is going to happen. These are baby Christians. And they're facing some of the worst persecution you could. So a couple of weeks later, as they arrive at the next place, Paul writes a letter. He says, man, I was freaking out about you guys but I sent Timothy back to find out what was happening. And Timothy gets there, learns from the Thessalonians, comes back to Paul with the news, what's happened? They're standing strong, yes. They're firm in their faith, yes. The church is growing, yes. And so Paul, finally he says, I can breathe, I can live, because I know you're standing firm. That was in 1 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, probably written not a long time afterwards, as he wants to write them some encouragement. Let's get into it. What happens to the church of God? What happens to the enemies of God in the face of persecution? Now I want to learn three things. I want to learn about the church, I want to learn about the glory of God, and the justice of God, sorry, I want to learn about the glory of God in us. That's where we're going. Let's talk first about the church. What can we learn from these guys as they faced persecution? Have a look again at verses 3 and 4. We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since your faith is flourishing and the love each one of you has for another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches, about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and afflictions that you are enduring. Isn't that a wonderful verse? Gee, I'd love to be, I mean, this... this Maybe I shouldn't, I should be more humble, but I'd love to be the church that others boast about because we stand strong in the face of persecution, because of our trust, because of our love. I mean, look at what they had, right? What does he say? Your faith is flourishing. <laughs> now, I want you to be pondering as we go through this chapter, does this describe me? Are these words that you would feel comfortable saying to somebody else, hey, how's your Christian walk going right now? Oh, honestly, my faith is flourishing right now. I mean, can you imagine 
in the midst of fearing for your life because you are a follower of Jesus, saying to somebody, my faith is flourishing. I mean, surely, surely it would be the opposite, right? Why would I follow Jesus when the life is so hard? Why would I keep listening to God when I daily face the threat of being killed because I'm a Christian? And yet that's exactly what is happening. Their faith is flourishing. And it does make sense. Faith is a muscle. It's, it's, a, it's, almost, it's a verb, right? We think of it as an adjective. I have faith. I'm a man of faith. Really, it's a verb. It's a doing word. Just replace it for the word trust or depend. I trust, right? It's something you do. And faith grows through pressure. When you think about lifting weights, how, how do you get jacked? How do you get a body like those bodybuilders? I'm, I'm told that what you have to do is lift heavy weights. It's not that I've ever done it, right? But you, you want to have big muscles. I mean, forget about steroids for a moment, right? You want to have big muscles, you've got to lift big weights. You've got to put pressure onto your muscles. That causes them to grow. Faith is a muscle. Think about some of the, the giants of the faith. Hudson Taylor, missionary to China. The, the, the people like him who faced insurmountable odds, who we read their stories and we think, how did you do? Your faith, wow, what an amazing... And you listen to those people speak and they say, actually, my faith was nothing until I faced the hardship. And it was the hardship that produced the faith. I didn't start out as a super Christian and therefore I went and did the hard thing. I started out weak and timid and afraid with nothing. And that was what caused me to depend on God. And so my faith grew. I had a really strange thought this week. And you, you, you tell me what you think of it later. I, I'm still pondering it. I think that you and I live in the most challenging conditions possible to be a growing Christian. Now, I understand the sentence, right? That you and I have it the hardest to be a Christian whose faith is flourishing. Because life is so good. I mean, what, what hardship do we face compared to the person who, you are here today and God bless you for it. Imagine if coming here brought with it the risk of someone kicking down that door with machetes and hacking you to death. Would you still be here? I mean, as it is, there's no risk, there's no pressure, there's no danger. I can wear a Jesus Is t-shirt and put a fish bumper sticker on my car and stand around the water cooler at work and say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I went to church and, and, and nothing. There's no danger, there's no risk. There's no need for faith. We have so much. Why would I need to depend on God? when I can just pull out my bank card and blip, blip, my problem solved. I'm going to eat three meals today, I'm going to go home, my house is dry, I'm wearing nice warm clothes. I wonder if you and I don't live in the most challenging conditions. How is our faith? Can you say to someone, my faith is flourishing? They could. Now, 
I don't think the answer is to pursue suffering. I don't think the answer is, well, therefore you've got to make your life harder. I'm not sure that's... Maybe, but I don't think that's it. And yet, I think that it is impossible without trial for faith to flourish. It's why the Bible says Christians rejoice in suffering. (laughs) Not because we're masochists, but because we see an opportunity there, there, my faith can grow. I wonder if this isn't a challenge to us to seek to live with less. Not just because we're monks or, or some sort of, right, we've got to get rid of worldly possessions, but because we're so invested in gospel work. We take our resources and we give it, we give it to gospel work so that we're left with little, such that we have to learn to depend on God. But isn't that a hard thought? Isn't that like, I'm going to empty my bank balance, I'm going to get rid of my possessions, I'm going to, that's what Jesus told the rich young ruler to do, wasn't it? For the sake of following Jesus. The church, what were they doing? Uh, God bless this man. He's one of the servants suffering for the sake of the gospel right now, clearing the drain for us and checking the heater. I mean, where would we be without our wardens, hey? Good on you, James. Is the, is the, is the thing clear? Is the heater working? Oh, two out, one out of two is not too bad. Their faith was flourishing, right? What else were they doing? Their love was increasing. And again, so counterintuitive. Can you just, I mean, picture it, right? Someone's standing there punching you in the face and as they're punching you in the face, your desire to do good for them is growing. (laughs) You're right. And yet this is these guys. As they're being hounded for the sake of Jesus, their love, their desire to do sacrificial good for someone else is increasing. Now it's worth noticing, love can increase. Your desire and your ability to do good for others isn't static. It's not like, well, I've got X amount of love and that. No, here it is growing. And again, I wonder if our circumstances don't make this so challenging for us because we have so much. I don't need you to love me. I don't need you to care for me. I have so much that I can care for myself, thank you very much. And I know you do too. The less they had, the more they had to love each other. Here's one little example. It's it's, it's so little that I I almost hesitate to use it, right? But do do we love each other enough to just greet the people around you at church each week? It's it's such a little, almost pointless thing. And yet there's a tiny little moment of love. And I don't just mean your friends, right? I don't mean just mean greet the people you came with. I mean, I hope you say hello to them, you talk to them, right? But, but to reach out to someone you don't know, to show them just that one tiny little moment of love, to say, I see you, I notice you, I'd like to hear your story. Who are you? I, I don't know. Here are these guys going through tough persecution and their love is increasing and they are persevering, they're enduring, not giving up. I'm not saying any of this is easy. For faith to flourish, for love to increase, these don't come cheaply. They're not just a flippant remark, hey, we should be more faithful. No. It comes through perseverance and endurance. But you know what? Faith, love, persecution, is, sorry, perseverance, it's what we would expect to see if God was at work. Have a look at verse 5. We're going to have to think about this one a little bit. This is where the passage, the logic of it gets tricky. 
It's one of those passages where it's just a long block of text and you kind of get lost in it if you're anything like me. Have a look at verse 5. It is clear evidence, right, their behaviour, the fact that their faith was flourishing, their love was increasing, they had perseverance, this was clear evidence of God's righteous judgment. And God's righteous judgment both ways, that you will be counted worthy of the kingdom for which you are suffering and that it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you to give relief to those who are afflicted along with us. Now, we've got to think about this for a moment. Somehow, God's people living Jesus' lives shows that God's decision about his people and his enemies is right. How? Well, let's think about it for God's people for a moment. How is it that them flourishing in faith increasing in love, persevering and enduring, how does that show that God is right when he says, you are my people and on the last day you will be righteous? Well, it's because it shows that God's at work in them now. These things aren't just random characteristics, well, faith and love. They, oh, well, I guess I'll, I'll throw those things at my people. No, they are God's character. You think about what Jesus was like, the ultimate example of the perfect human. A man who perfectly depended on God, even in the face of persecution. Into your hands I commit my spirit, he says to his father. He's the one who shows perfect love. As they're killing him, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's the one who truly persevered through the most horrendous persecution known. The fact that Christians continue to display Jesus, even through persecution, shows that God is righteous. He has transformed us. He is at work in us now, so that when we get to the last day, he says, well, yeah, they were mine. You could see it all along. You could see it back then when they were being persecuted and they lived for me. Of course they're mine. Of course I will declare them to be righteous. But you know what? It's also condemnation then on those who persecute us. I had a friend uh, new at a church going back a while now, an Iranian girl, a girl named Sahar. Uh, she had come to Australia to study and had become a Christian. She'd been converted through the work on campus, had become to church with us for a little while. And she could no longer return home. Because if she did, her family would kill her. Now, she'd had a conversation with her brother and, and she, he was the one person she thought maybe she could trust in the family and had, had confided in him that she had become a Christian. And in God's miraculous working, he had too. Uh, he'd encountered some Christians in Iran and they'd shared the gospel with him and he'd become a Christian. And he hadn't told the family either. Because if he told them, they would kill him. Now, in that moment, the, you think about it from the family's perspective for a moment. They have an opportunity to encounter Jesus. They have a, a son and a daughter who will come and show the gospel to them, who will preach the gospel to them, 
who will share salvation with them. And they would destroy it. As God's people live God's way in the face of persecution, it shows that the persecutors are rightly doomed. For as they had a moment to encounter Jesus, they despised it and turned away. It is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. For they have ignored the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a terrible affliction it will be. This will take place, verse 7, at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels, when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence, from his glorious strength. People in our world like to kind of joke about hell, don't they? To, to pretend that it's the nice place. You ever, you ever heard someone say that? Oh, well, look, at least if I go there, I'll, I'll be with my mates at least. <laughs> It'll be great, won't it? We'll all hang out and have a big party. How foolish. You, you think that hell is going to have anything good in it? Who, who do you think the idea of mateship and friendship comes from? Who do you think the idea of a party comes from? You really think that you're going to be hanging out with your mates, having a party, when the one who is the author of everything good has turned his face towards you in destruction? Friendship is gone. All that is left is eternal destruction. Their faith and love and perseverance was evidence. The person in front of you was showing Jesus to you and you persecute them instead. I wonder if I can bring it home to us for a moment. Do your neighbours despise you? I suspect the answer is no. They don't despise you. And that could be God's kindness to us. It, it could be that we still live in a nation that is kind of Christian-y enough that our neighbours sort of have Christian-y values and so they look at us and they think, well, they're good people because we're good people and so we all get along. And then that could just be God's kindness to us. Okay? I'm, I'm not saying it's not. But it also could be that my life is identical to theirs. So of course they're not going to despise me. Am I living Christianly if my life is identical to theirs? What a terrible judgment awaits, but what glorious deliverance for God's people. On that day, verse 10, when Jesus comes to be glorified by his saints, to be marvelled at by all those who have believed, because our testimony among you was believed. And look at the glory that awaits and that begins now. As we wrap it up, Paul says, in view of this, we always pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and by his power fulfill every desire to do good and your work produced by faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we look, we look forward to that day. It's a day of terrible judgment. And yet it's a day of glorious redemption. Finally, we'll be seen. They were right. 
They did live God's ways. And here is Jesus now, and I see Jesus, and I look at God's people, and I say, yes, that is what they were doing. They were living Jesus out into the world. And it's a glory that begins now. Verse 12, the name of Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him as we live Jesus' lives, lives of faith and love and perseverance. We are displaying God's character, the glory language. We're showing Jesus to the world such that he is glorified and we get to share. Persecuted because we do the work of Jesus. This is where I see I hit my fear again because we're not persecuted. So what's going on? The world hated him. Do they hate us? And so pray, pray, in view of this, we always pray, Paul says, that our God will A, make you worthy of his calling and by his power fulfil your every desire to do good, your work produced by faith. What an awesome prayer. (laughs) That God's power would make you like a Christian, would make you like the Christ and make you live out the worthy calling. Now I want to tell you this so that you'll be prepared. I think persecution in our country may grow. It it may not. Um, I, I think that would perhaps be a shame actually if we aren't persecuted a little bit more in a strange way. But persecution may grow. I don't know if you saw the news this week in America and all of the overturning of various legislations and things that have changed. I saw in the news that they were burning Bibles. Like, there's, there's just, what a strange sentence, right? In the United States of America, this, this Christianised nation, they're burning Bibles. It may not be long before it happens here. Next, next term, we're going to preach on love, sex and marriage. And we are going to say things in that sermon series that I could well imagine within five to ten years may carry with it the risk of jail terms. Persecution may come. We need to be prepared. But I think what we need to be prepared with is by starting to exercise our faith. Whether persecution comes or not, we should do this anyway. You don't wake up tomorrow and run a marathon. I mean, anyone in? Anyone game? Uh, I didn't think so, right? Like, partly because of the weather. um, But also, I don't think any of us are quite that. I had to think about who's in the room for a moment because I might have gotten a hand up and gotten into trouble. No, you don't. You, you wake up tomorrow and you walk the length of your block and home again. And then the next day you walk two blocks. And then the day after that you walk a kilometre. And then the day, right? That's how you run a marathon. You don't wake up tomorrow. If we get to the point where persecution begins and we need our faith to be strong, we need to start exercising it now. Busy using our resources for the kingdom. So we need to be prepared, and that means starting today. We need to be loving. Do you pray, at at least pray for the persecuted church around the world? I went looking just just for some some examples. You can just just pick one country, just pick Nigeria and start praying for it. It is the single most dangerous country to be a Christian in in the world right now. And on any given year, the number of Christians who are killed that we can find out about, I mean, there's plenty that we can't, is in the thousands. Any given year. Do you at least pray for them? Go look up Open Doors or the Voice of the Martyrs or there's a number of of organisations who every day will send you um, slightly depressing updates, but that's okay, we need to pray for them. And will you be challenged? Does this describe you, this chapter? 
after church, are you going to say to someone, hey, how's your Christian walk? And will they say it to you? And you say, ah, my faith is flourishing. (laughs) My love is increasing every day. I'm persevering. I'm enduring, head down, dog perseverance. I find myself praying that God will, by his power, make me worthy of the kingdom and fight the good fight because I want Jesus' glory. That's what I want. I want the world to see him in me. Well, why don't we finish by praying exactly that? Our Heavenly Father, would you please make us worthy of your calling? By your power, please fulfill our every desire to do good, our work produced by faith. And we ask this that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by our lives and us by him. And we pray according to the grace that you have shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.